So here we are in southwest France. We're lost. It wouldn't exactly be easy to find if it was really such a super secret spot, would it? Pierre's offered to take us to an isolated arm of the lake that runs deep into the woods. At the bottom of this part of the lake, there's a perfectly preserved house. It's not on any map. It's a long way, but I promise it's worth it. Nervous? Maybe a little. We'll get back to New York, we'll edit the footage. Once we reach our first million views, we're going straight to the Littlest Chapel in Vegas. Visibility's pretty good. We're reaching a first plateau, 10 meters down. There she is. I forgot how superstitious people are in these parts. Wow. Everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike, and joining me as always is Mr. Venom. How are you doing, Venom? Greetings and salutations, social media influencer douchebags. <laughs> How you doing, Mike? I'm doing all right. <laughs> Pretty good. I I thought you were going to say socialist for there. For socialist? I thought, no, no. I thought he was going to go with underwater Satanists, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, yeah. Um, joining us as well is Don. What's up, Don? How are you? Yeah, what's going on, everyone? Great to be here. Okay, well, this uh, week we, I think at the last episode, we kind of discussed the situation, uh, a couple movies that were eligible. Uh, uh, I think we were discussing doing Black Friday, but it didn't uh, make itself available to two-thirds of us, at least by the time it was uh, time to record this episode. So we could be reviewing that one in the future. We'll see. But uh, in its place, we decided on The Deep House. And this one released earlier this year. Heard a handful of people talk about it. Heard all sorts of different reaction to this. So I figured, hey, I guess it'll be our turn to discuss it. So let's take the synopsis. That's a long synopsis off. IMDb. Let's see. A young and modern couple who go to France to an underwater house and share their findings on social media undergoes a serious change of plans when the couple enter, enters the interior of a strange house located at the bottom of a lake and their presence awakens a dark spirit that haunts the house. That was a mouthful. That was a lot. That, that's, that's what not she said. Just, yeah. <laughs> she said all that. Yeah. Um, okay, so general thoughts. We'll hop right in. Venom, what did you think of the Deep House? 
All right, here we go. Uh, as you guys know, I don't watch trailers. I will periodically read a synopsis. I, I don't make it a point to do it. I like to go in as blind as possible. But with this movie, we actually got some feedback from other podcasters, specifically like Mark Nato from the Horror Cast and Scott and Heather from Friday Nightmares all seemed to really enjoy the movie. But of course, because our slate was so full, as Mike said, we couldn't get to it right away. But going into this, I knew kind of a basic synopsis about this, and I was very concerned because I was thinking that a majority of this film was going to be underwater. And even though I do I do love like my Sharknado movies and things like that, I'm not the biggest fan of underwater horror. It, it has to be exceptional for me to really, really get into it. Um, so that was a big concern with this one. And... And after watching it, my concerns were correct. Um, this movie is an hour and 25 minutes, and over an hour of it is underwater. So the majority of this movie is underwater. And so it's really going to live and die by how much you enjoy underwater stuff. So going into this, like I said, I was concerned with that. But you know what? After finishing the movie, <laughs> I fucking love this movie. Um, it's a very slow paced movie, obviously, because it's underwater, you know, <laughs> there's actually a chase scene in this, which seems odd for an underwater chase scene that doesn't involve, uh, you know, a fish or, you know, an underwater mammal of some kind, but now <laughs> two people chasing another two people in an underwater house. So it ends up being one of the slowest chase sequences ever and almost comical at times, but for whatever it's worth, this movie there's some really nice uh, cinematography, there, uh, nice scenery, uh, you know, obviously a beautiful lake in uh, France, in the south of France. So obviously with beautiful scenery and locale, it's going to lend itself to good cinematography. Um, the performances were fine. I had no issues with any of the performances. The score was a little underwhelming, uh, but ultimately I think that's okay because of the slower pace of the film. Especially, like I said, once we get underwater... The movie does kind of slow down, so it's a matter of how, if the tension and tone that they're building underwater works for you as the viewer, and for me, it absolutely did. I found myself absolutely riveted with this one. I know when I really like a movie because I end up taking very little notes. I'm so engaged in the film that I end up not looking down at my notepad, and yes, I do take handwritten notes. I'm I'm that old. Uh, and... You know, when I'm really engaged with the film, I tend not to take as many notes. And yeah, I ended up taking like a half a page worth of notes while watching the film. And then I just went ahead and completed the page with all of my thoughts. But yeah, I, I genuinely enjoyed this. I will admit that the ending is a, just a tad underwhelming uh, considering the journey that you're going through. Uh, you know, once we kind of get the reveal of our antagonists and what they've done and, you know, what someone up on the surface is actually doing. Uh, you know, once all that is kind of resolved, the actual finale of the film, like I said, is just slightly underwhelming, which, you know, we'll go over in the spoiler section. But I will say I like this film a lot more than I anticipated liking it. I, I honestly didn't think I was going to like it as much as I did. And ultimately, I'm not I'm not really a big fan of the characters like our two protagonists, as I said, with my greeting, 
they're social media influencers who have like a YouTube page and everything that they do is for likes. That kind of seems to be the new. Whereas in the 80s, we had idiot teenagers making terrible decisions in horror movies. Now we've got social media influencers making terrible decisions for the sake of getting likes. And that's so sometimes that rubs me the wrong way. And it kind of did here at first. Like I wasn't a big fan of our two and uh, protagonists. I warmed up to them a little bit as the movie went along, but then about halfway through the movie, uh, the um, the male of the uh, pair, I believe his name is Ben, starts making some terrible decisions going against his fiance, and and you guys all know how I feel about spouses not supporting each other in horror movies, so uh, you know prepare for a little bit of a rant later in the spoiler section, but. You know, uh, I, I thought the the story, I thought the backstory was pretty cool. I, th I thought the the background of the house and even the town that's been flooded, I thought that was cool to hear. Um, once we actually get to our antagonists and kind of see, you know, their state when we first get down to the deep house and then what follows after that, I was really down for. I know it's not going to speak to a lot of people because I've already said the pacing, you know, because the majority of this film is underwater, the pacing is a little bit slower. It takes a little bit longer to get to the to the quote unquote good stuff. Now, the good thing about the film is that it's only an hour and 25 minutes. It's a quick watch. Some at times it still feels like over 90 minutes only because, as I said, the slower pace of some of those underwater scenes. But for whatever it's worth, the tone and tension that was created by the director or directors, actually, we have two directors here. Um, just it just worked for me. I found myself riveted. I I just really enjoyed it. And even though the ending maybe wasn't the most, you know, fantastic ending that this movie could have had, it was still mildly satisfying. We get a completion to at least, you know, the story that we're following with this film. Um, and obviously the very open-ended, ambiguous ending that a lot of horror movies have. But like I said, we'll get into that in the spoiler section. So yeah, I guess the long and the short of it is. I really enjoyed this movie a lot more than I thought it would. It's not going to be top 10 by the end of the year by any stretch. I can't imagine it will be. But this was a very solid film for me. I totally enjoyed it, and I absolutely see myself returning to it again. Okay. Let's uh, swim on over to Don for his uh, general thoughts on The Deep House. Uh, yeah, um, I really enjoyed this one, uh, especially considering the last three were, or four actually, because I think um, that runs all the way back to Halloween Kills. The last four were really underwhelming and kind of disappointing. So I, I, it's actually kind of nice to actually kind of like a film on this um, show for once. <laughs> um, I, I really enjoyed the atmosphere. I, I thought it was creepy and really kind of, engaging um i really kind of got into it once they descended into the surf under the water the beginning stuff yeah that's just character build up i'm not really that bothered by it but yeah once we got underwater i kind of i was really feeling it a little bit more a lot of the chases and all of the um the encounters i guess would probably be a better term um all of those scenes worked for me i really enjoyed them um i, I was really into it i liked a lot of the creepy atmosphere and all that i'm also not a fan of the ending and i i kind of think me and venom are going to agree on that once um once we get into spoilers because i i, I have a strange feeling i know where he's going based on his description that we're going to have the same problems mm -hmm. so i 
Um, yeah, it's not the strongest conclusion to this. Um, I, I'm okay with it, but it's not one of those where it's like, yeah, that's, this is a real, real strong finish to this. It just, it feels way too rushed and it just, uh, it just leaves like a really sour taste in my mouth. But uh, yeah, beyond that, um, there's a lot to like here. Uh, Like I said, the atmosphere is fantastic. A lot of the stuff here is really kind of creepy and chilling. Uh, I'm like him. I don't see this as a top 10, but if we're going 20, 25, potentially. But uh, yeah, it's definitely worth a watch. It's definitely something that... um, Especially if you're fans of their other work, because I think these were the same guys that did Frontiers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not in that same kind of a ballpark, but it's definitely, I think, their best of their stuff that they've done since they've come over and sort of gotten out of France and into the international market. So, mm-hmm. yeah, kudos, guys. And, uh, yeah, uh, worth a watch. Don't expect any kind of life-changing stuff. Don't expect to make it a top 10 list, but something to round out like a top 20 or something like that. You could do a lot worse than this. Cool. Uh, all right. So for me, I tend to agree with both of what you guys had to say. I, I think the strength of this movie is kind of blending two subgenres, the found footage and the underwater uh, horror. Um, I think that's where the movie excels. Uh, it, it takes a little bit to get into it, but because the movie's under 90 hours total, it doesn't feel like too much of a drag or anything before we actually get underwater. Um, once we get past our setup and we're actually in the underwater house, and I think that's where it picks up. And it's, you know, atmosphere is pretty good from there. Uh, I think it's kind of a, you know... It, it's I don't know if you'd say bare bones story, but you know there's not a whole lot to what's going on. Pretty typical of uh, the ty- the kind of things you would see in a found footage movie, but because it is underwater, there is aspects to it that um, feel kind of unique and fun to experience. Just because it, it gives you that little bit of an element that you're not gonna typically get. Um, but at the same token, you can say that's where some of the limitations come in, just because I think as Venom pointed out. There's certain parts where, you know, in a in a standard found footage movie, they'd be running from it, where in this one, because they have to swim from it, it's kind of like, it harkens back to, like, watching the Austin Powers when they're mocking that someone just kind of standing there as the enemy slowly, <laughs> <laughs> slowly creeps up on them, like, why aren't you just going? Well, in this one, you know, they're, they're swimming away from things as fast as they can. But uh, we are humans, and we can only swim so fast, even with scuba gear and flippers and all that kind of stuff. So, well, especially with scuba gear, that shit weighs a ton. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there are certain parts where, yeah, it's uh, it could it could almost come off comical unintentionally, just because of you know a human's limitation in the water without some type of like motorized assistance or something. But uh, other than that, yeah, I I did. The scare is pretty good. It was definitely creepy. And I'll also agree, the the ending was a little underwhelming. Um, it, it felt like, you know, they're building towards something and, and we kind of get where it's going. And it's just kind of like, okay, done. Um, but, you know, that could just that could just be or maybe an early draft is what got adapted and not much changes were made to try to improve it. Or, you know, could be budget, could be time. Who knows? 
but overall i still found it enjoyable and i do see like why the people that praised it did praise it i'm probably not as high on it as some of what i saw like i think mark nato and like heather like really really liked it uh do i i don't think it'll end up in my top 10 but you know we see so many movies it doesn't have to be in a top 10 to say it's good or worth your time as don and venom already pointed out so i would still recommend it uh and you know anytime you can blend a couple different genres successfully i think it's worth seeing just because sometimes that the byproduct of that is you you get to kind of see something a little new and different so for that reason alone i would recommend people check out the deep house yeah i i actually forgot to even mention the found footage aspect of it during my general thoughts um i was so into the film about a half hour in that i wasn't even thinking about it as a found footage film anymore it just felt like we're following these divers you know into one of their excavations and you know, it just felt really natural, but especially because they had they did have a drone. They did have an underwater drone with them named Tom that, uh, you know, kind of did a lot of the, like the steady cam shots and, you know, some of the more, you know, high higher quality, like produced shots came from the drone. So, you know, I, I, I like I said, I was just so into the film. I had completely forgotten about the found footage aspect of it. And then the other thing I forgot to mention was the claustrophobia of it. If you were claustrophobic, this movie is not going to do like what the descent did. The, the descent is probably the pinnacle of claustrophobic horror. Uh, I'm sure there's other examples as well. This one's not quite that claustrophobic, but it does, you know, the fact that you're inside of a house that's five meters below the surface of a lake, you know, it, it, it's scary shit. So, um, so those aspects of it all really, really worked for me. And like I said, um, one of my biggest concerns with, you know, the movie being underwater for the majority of it was going to be how clear the shots were, because I don't know if anybody listening to my voice right now has ever done any kind of diving in a lake. Lake water is fairly murky. You, you can't always see too. It's not like the ocean where, you know, you can see pretty far in front of you. It, you know, lake water is murky. And I was concerned that that we were going to get a 47 meters down sequel, the, the, the one where they find they find that underwater city and like every shot in there is murky. And, you know, I, I ended up not really enjoying that one too much. This one starts out murky as they're kind of diving down into the house. But once we actually get into the house, everything kind of clears up. There's not as much dirt and muck in the house. So, you know, the shots are a lot clearer. Everything is visible. Um, you know, the fact that it's dark doesn't really hinder your enjoyment of it. They have plenty of lighting. They have their own individual lights, plus the drone has its own lights as well. Um, so, you know, the drone is kind of lighting the way for them as they explore this house. So, so a very well shot movie. I, I was actually surprised that this was a universal picture. Like I, I had heard so little about this outside of horror podcasters that I just assumed it was going to be an indie and maybe it is an indie production, but the fact that Universal is distributing it, I, I was a little surprised about that. But then once you've watched the movie, it makes sense because, you know, you're getting some good filmmaking, you're getting some decent storytelling, you're getting some good performances. So, yeah, it definitely makes sense that Universal's name is on it. It was just a little bit of a surprise to me. But, uh, yeah, um, I'm not sure what else I can say that's spoiler free about the film. I, 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 I've said about everything I can. Uh, like I said, the score was a little underwhelming to me. But at the same time, because of the pacing of the film, the underwhelming score kind of fits. Like, I'm, I'm not necessarily complaining about it. I wish it was a little bit better. 
But I did at times find myself listening to the score and thinking, well, this is pretty dull. Like, you know, the, these guys are underwater. You should keep the tension high for the entirety of the underwater stuff. And at times the score didn't really reflect that. So, you know, minor, minor grievances really more than anything. Yeah. Sp- speaking of the score, there is a there's a song in the closing credits, not the one that comes on immediately, but after the second mm-hmm. song. And I thought that was more notable than any music from the actual movie. <laughs> It's like, oh, they should have yeah. put this, because it was something like synth, like dark synth or something. I was like, they should have put this in the actual movie. Actually, the the very, the very first company logo after the Universal logo at the beginning of the film had a really cool dark synth soundtrack. And I'm like, all right, I'm into this. And then it turned out it was just a studio logo. And I'm like, fuck, they got me. I, I, f- I feel like Peter Griffin getting tricked by all the studio logos at the beginning of a movie. I, I was so upset. But, and then when we actually get to the movie, I'm like, God damn it. That three seconds of music is better than anything they actually included in the music uh, in the movie. And Mike is right. Yeah, that, that, that ending credit song was fairly entertaining. And since there actually was a quick post credit scene, you know, it, it was worth uh, watching all the credits this time around. But um I don't know, gentlemen, I guess we can get into spoilers. Not really a whole lot spoiler free we can talk about at this point, right? Yeah, kind uh, of. Yeah, I don't agree right. with that. Well, this will be a quick one. I mean, there's not much of a walkthrough here. Like, everything happens, all the major storytelling parts, at least of our uh, protagonists, happen really quick. Uh, we basically get a cold open with uh, Tina and Ben. They are our social media, our YouTubers, whatever you want to call them. Uh, they have a YouTube channel where they explore haunted and dark locations. Uh, in the cold open, they visit a haunted asylum. Uh, they hear a couple of creepy things, but nothing actually, you know, legitimately horror-like happens during this scene. It's just kind of setting up that what these two people are. They're they're kind of ghost hunters, um, you know, kind of YouTubers trying to get views and likes on their channel. And so they're, you know, trying to do like the most out there stuff that they can find. And in this particular case, they hear about a house. Uh, basically, there's a town in the south of France uh, that had a I, I don't remember the exact story if they had to build a new reservoir or the old reservoir failed. But basically, this entire town was flooded. Um, this small town in the south of France, basically. But the thing is, is that they knew that it was going to be flooded. So all the people, all the townspeople did have enough time to kind of get their belongings out of the house, you know, get out of the area. And then the entire town is kind of, you know, uh, flooded because of this uh, either new or broken reservoir. I forget the exact story, but uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they decide to go to this location. They're told that it's a secret location that no one knows about. But once they get to where they think the location is, they find themselves in a tourist trap. Uh, basically, they're at a beach just filled with tourists and weekenders and soaking up the sun and swimming. There's kids all over the place. There's concession stands. And, and they're both really upset with each other because they thought it was like a secret location that no one knew about. Um, throughout the day, they end up meeting a gentleman named Pierre, a local, a local Frenchman named Pierre, uh, basically telling them, oh, I know what you're looking for. Uh, the spot that you're looking for actually is a secluded spot that tourists can't get to. I'll go ahead and take you there. And now, folks, we know we're watching a horror movie. So, of course, instantly we trust Pierre because he's obviously a great friend who's taking these two people to uh, a location that they're looking for. 
when they get to the lake or the secret location, this part of the lake, um, it is absolutely secluded, no houses around. It's literally just surrounded by woods. And of course, they make uh, they uh, start making their, you know, uh, preparations to dive, getting all their equipment together, their cameras, their drone, all of their um, oxygen equipment. Now, early in the film, we actually do see uh, Tina in the bathtub practicing holding her breath because uh, apparently, you know, uh, because they're diving so deep, they want to make sure that if their oxygen tanks fail or run out, that they can hold their breath long enough to get back up to the surface. So um, as it turns out, Tina is not able to hold her breath more than like a minute and 22 seconds as they show in the movie, but she lies to Ben and says, Oh, I can hold my breath, my, my breath for three minutes. Um, which is pretty exceptional. Actually three minutes is damn good. Um, uh, of course she is lying to him. That's going to come into play later. That's why I wanted to make sure you guys knew about that part. But so, yeah, so Tina is lying to Ben about how long she can hold her breath, but as they're diving, Ben explains to her, you know, that we have a certain amount. Uh, I think he says we have 60 minutes of air or something along those lines. Uh, 60 minutes of oxygen, excuse me, in the tanks that they have. And then he says, even if we run out of oxygen while we're still in the house, if you can hold your breath for three minutes, then we should be fine. You should have plenty of time to get back up to the surface, you know, if the worst happens, blah, blah, blah. So this is where our two... Uh, social media influencers decide to jump into the lake, swim on down. And this is where, and, and from this point on, the entirety of the movie is underwater. It's not like we go back up to the surface for anything in the main part of the movie. There is a, uh, there is a post credit scene that we'll talk about later that is back up on the surface. But for the rest of the movie, once Ben and Tina enter the water, the rest of the movie is underwater. And this is where we get our first shots of them diving into the water. And you can see instantly it's murky. There's tree branches. There's sand and dust or dirt all over the place. Um, they, they have no more than maybe a foot or two of visibility in front of them. But Pierre, the helpful gentleman that he is, lets them know to look for a staircase underwater. And that once they find that staircase, to follow it down and it will take them to the house that they're looking for. And of course, as they're you know down in the uh, in the lake, they do find the staircase. It's just like concrete stairs that I'm sure used to be used by the homeowners, but obviously now it's underwater. They follow the stairs down to the house and they find it. And it is a large house. It looks like it's got like a chapel connected to it because there's like a cross on top of it. I thought it was a church as they were approaching it. But then behind the little chapel is the majority of the house. It's a big ass house. I wouldn't go so far as to say mansion, but it's a big ass house, a big old French villa that is now buried by five meters of water. And from here, it's just, uh, you know, Ben and Tina kind of going through the house, exploring different rooms. You know, they find furniture. Uh, you know, what I found funny in this movie is that the buoyancy of some of the items in the house were inconsistent. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but like the first dining room that they walked into, the table and chairs were solidly on the ground. They were not floating. 
But then the very next room they go into has a fucking grand piano floating in the middle of the room. I'm like, how the hell is a dining room table heavier than a grand piano? But again, whatever. And then they, <laughs> and, and then they walk into another dining room and the tables and chairs in that dining room are all floating. So, yeah, the, the buoyancy of the furniture in this movie is a little inconsistent, but, you know, very forgivable. It's a minor gripe. It, yeah. It's just... Forgivable and even unnoticeable. I didn't even notice. Yeah, exactly. Most people aren't even going to notice it. But I was like, because the very first, like, I noticed it right away because the first room, none of the furniture was floating. And I'm thinking, what, did they nail that shit to the floor or something for effect so that it wouldn't float? And then the very next room, floating grand piano. So, yeah, go figure. No big deal. That's the kind of thing where, like, a script supervisor or something might be like, Hey, why is this stuff floating and anything else? And maybe they just wanted to like have something floating by just for the effect of like, Hey, you remember not like script supervisor. (laughs) That's more like continuity on, that's like continuity on set more than the script supervisor. Yeah. There there usually is a, a continuity supervisor on most sets. Um, sometimes though it is on the script supervisor. I, I have heard script supervisors kind of also being in charge of continuity, but you know, uh, it's, a, I can't imagine this movie was ultra expensive. Yes. It has universal's name on it, but like I said, since the majority of it is underwater, I'm sure it was difficult to shoot, but I can't imagine it was excessively expensive to shoot. You know, it's one location, you know, obviously you got to rent underwater cameras and all that stuff, but you know, I, you know, it's not like the movie is filled with like CG effects and practical effects all over the place. Not at all. This isn't an effects extravaganza by any stretch. So it doesn't seem like the budget is too high, but anyway, as I said, Ben and Tina are just going through the house, finding stuff floating, you know, at, at one point. And of course we get our very obvious jump scares at one point. Uh, Tina is scared by a floating life-size doll, uh, like a like a child's doll. It looks like it's the size of an actual child. Just go, you know, basically starts floating towards her, but from far away because of the visibility, it kind of looks like an actual child floating towards her. So that was kind of interesting. And then, of course, you, you know, in a movie like this, you have to have the fish jump scare. You know, where they open a door and a big ass fish just comes flying, uh, you know, swift flying, <laughs> comes swimming by them to scare both Tina and Ben. Um, obviously, this is a lake, so, you know, no need to fear for sharks or, you know, any, anything carnivorous, really. Um, it's just a big old and really, this was the only big fish. For some reason, even the fish in this lake were smart enough to avoid the house. Except for this one big one who, for some reason, liked swimming through the house for for whatever it's worth. Um, and then finally, we get down to the cellar. And once we get down to the cellar, this is when the movie really kicks into gear. When they get down to the cellar, they actually find two people, a man and a woman, chained up in the house. And, you know, obviously when you see this, Ben and Tina both assume that it's a murder scene, that these people were chained up in this house, you know, before the town was flooded and, you know, basically were murdered by the town folks or something along those lines. But, you know, there's just enough mystery to kind of keep you engaged and, you know, constantly be asking, like, who are these people? What did they do? Blah, blah, blah. Um, of course, as you know, we're watching a horror movie, so it's fairly obvious that our couple does eventually uh, wake up. Uh, it turns out they're obviously or they're probably undead. We don't get much. We get an explanation of what this couple did in life, but not so much why they're still, you know, moving around inside of this house, which is, you know, underwater. But 
Um, when we do finally get the reveal of who the couple are, it turns out that this couple lived in this house for years before the flood and they had a son and a daughter. And basically, um, they were just, you know, they were kidnapping local kids, neighborhood kids and killing them, torturing them and killing them, murdering them in their house. Um, and it looks like it had something to do with satanic rituals because underneath the couple, um, like I said, they're chained up in the cellar, but obviously their bodies are still floating, but they're chained down so that they can't get away. Below them on the floor, we see carvings of like pentagrams and other satanic symbols and iconography. Um, that kind of lets you know, obviously, something very dark and potentially satanic has been going on in this house. But like I said, we just get the reveal that they've been, I don't know that they actually say sacrificing children to the devil. They they do mention that they're, you know, taking kids from the neighborhood and killing them, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what ends up happening is the townsfolks uh, discover what this couple has been doing. They They are able to figure out what it is, and they basically turn into a lynch mob. Uh, they go to the house just before the town is about to be flooded over. Uh, the townsfolks kind of just barge into the house and just start, you know, just wrecking the place and basically killing um, three of the four family members. I forgot to mention that the, the couple did have a daughter and a son. And uh, we see that uh, during the flashback scene, we see that the daughter was not able to get away, but the son was able to get away. Hmm. Yeah, keep that in the back of your head. Um, so, yeah, the couple, <laughs> the older couple and their daughter are both killed by the townsfolks, and they are basically chained into in the cellar of their house so that when the, the eventual, you know, new reservoir uh, becomes available, the, the whole town is flooded over, and those bodies are trapped down there in the house. Now, uh, this is where the decision-making starts to get really bad in this movie. Um as I said, these two are kind of swimming around the house, just kind of exploring room to room. Finally, they get to the kitchen, and inside the kitchen, there is a door that's barricaded by a six-foot fucking Jesus Christ on the cross statue. I'm talking a big-ass life-size Christ statue. And he's on the cross, and the cross is being used as like a barrier to block the door. Um and, you, and and what do our folks do when they see this? Hey, let's go ahead and pop this open and see what's down in the cellar. I'm sorry, folks, but if, if I'm in this situation and I see a six-foot fucking Christ uh, blocking a door into another room, I, I'm not going into that room. I just It just doesn't seem like a smart decision. But, of course, you know, everything that these two are doing is for likes. They're trying to get – they actually mention how jump scares are good – for uh you know for their viewers so every time they get scared by a fish or uh you know something floating by they're like oh that's good for the it's good for the video we'll keep it blah 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 but like i said yeah uh, they decide to remove the six foot jesus go down into the cellar and like i said that's when they find uh our old couple um they don't see the daughter right away i'm not sure if the townsfolks actually chained her up down in the cellar as well we we see the daughter well, don't kinda, they mention that don't they mention that they killed her on her bed? Yes, they, they they do. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. They said they killed her. They shot her right on the bed or something. Yeah, you are correct. So potentially they probably just left her there, um, you know, uh, but just tied up the couple. Like maybe they didn't actually kill the couple. They probably just tied them up with a specific purpose of them to drown 
you know, when the reservoir uh, breaks or is created, whatever the case may be. Um, so, so yeah. So like I said, this is where the decision making starts to bother me because this is where Ben starts to not listen to Tina. This is where Tina starts saying, I have a bad feeling about this house. I really want to get out of here. And when they find the bodies in the cellar, she starts to, obviously, she starts freaking out. She's like, this is a murder scene. We have to get out of here. We need to report this. But, of course, Ben, being the social media douchebag that he is, says, oh, we can't report this because the police will take all our footage and we'll have nothing for the show. So let's just get the footage that we can get <laughs> yeah. and get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah. Ben is a real uh, pillar of uh, fucking society, isn't he? <sighs> what a guy. Yeah, but I mean, aside from even the legalities of what they're doing, you know, once you're, I say wife, but it's actually fiance, they're engaged, they're not actually, and actually, I don't even think they're engaged yet, I think they're planning on proposing after this episode is over, so they will be engaged soon. Um, but yeah, like I said, uh, you guys have heard me rant about this before, about significant others in horror movies, and it just annoys the shit out of me, that, you know, Tina literally drew a, a line in the sand and said, no, we need to leave right now. And Ben, of course, is like, well, let me just get two more minutes of footage. Let me just get two more minutes of footage. And then he gets the two minutes of footage, but then he finds yet another room that's closed off and he opens that room. And inside of that room is where he starts to find um, basically the aftermath of everything that that old couple did in life. We start seeing body parts, we see jars with like eyeballs and hands and random things like that in there. So, uh, you know, Ben is obviously horrified. Finally, with that revelation, finally, Ben is like, OK, let's get the hell out of here. We need to go. But of course, uh, as they're trying to leave, the first uh, scary thing, if you will, that happens is they get separated. Uh, somehow they get separated. And while they're separated, Tina sees the couple uh, come to life. They basically, they open their eyes and they start reaching for her. Uh, she gets scared and she tries swimming up because there's a well right above where the family, where the couple was chained up in the cellar. But the well is blocked off by like a metal grate. So she can't quite get away. And every time that she looks down as she's trying to get away, she, she realizes that the bodies are gone. They're missing. The bodies that just reanimated and were chained in the cellar are now completely gone. She gets freaked out. She's trying to bang at the, uh, at the metal grate in the well so she can get out. Eventually she is reunited with Ben. And of course, you know, here we go with the skeptical spouse. She starts to tell them to tell him the bodies moved. They, they, they weren't there for a second, but of course, when Ben returns to the cellar, the bodies are back in the exact same spot where they were. Ben starts, you know, kind of telling her, oh, you, you just got freaked out. You know, maybe you saw some dirt in the in your in your mask or, you know, something, you know, interfered with your vision or your perception of what you were looking at. So, you know, she accepts that as an explanation. But then literally, as they're both about to leave the cellar, once again, the couple reanimates. They open their eyes. They detach themselves from the chains that are holding them down. And uh, this is where we start to get our underwater chase scene. Now, one of the things that kind of had me scratching my head, but I, I, I just accepted it because I was enjoying the film, was the fact that our... Our divers are swimming through this entire house, but our antagonists are walking 
they're not really swimming. There are scenes where we see them treading water to try to chase our our couple around, but they're literally walking. Now, how is a dead body walking on the surface without any kind of weights holding them down? Because divers have weights on their belts, sometimes around their ankle, to weigh them down so that they can go deep into water. And yeah, so here's this ghost couple. I just chalk it up to supernatural uh, elements, you know? Uh, yeah. I'm not going to read into it too much. <laughs> I, I think so, too. It's kind of like the, um, the idea that, like, if... If zombies end up in water, they'll just walk on the floor of the ocean or body of water because they don't really operate the way like a normal person would. It's not like zombies are sitting there swimming around, you know. I wasn't even thinking about Land of the Dead. Yeah, they they made it obvious in Land of the Dead that zombies can walk underwater. I mean, they have no oxygen in their lungs, so they're not buoyant and they don't need to breathe. So blah, blah, blah. So Ultimately, it does kind of make sense for zombies. I don't know that this couple are zombies necessarily. Um, I think they're, I I mean, I don't know. My perception is they're going for some kind of supernatural thing. Like maybe they made a deal with the devil before they were killed by the townsfolk. And that's why they're still alive. Who knows? You know? Yeah, it's kind of where I was leaning. Yeah, yeah. They leave it ambiguous. So it's up to the viewer. You make up your own mind on what's actually happening. So Obviously, throughout the movie, uh, our two are monitoring their oxygen. You know, when they first look at it, I mean, before they get in the water, obviously, it's 100 percent. The first time they check it after they get to the house, it's at like 84 percent. And then it just goes farther and farther down until we finally get to kind of our final chase sequence where um, once again, Ben and Tina are separated, but this time Ben is attacked by the female of the couple, the, the older mom, I guess. Mm. Um, we, we don't actually get to see the attack. Like we see him hiding under the bed. We see, uh, the lady, um, uh, they're called the, the, the Montanax is the name of the family. So, and in the credits, they're just called Mr. Montanac and Madam Montanac. So let's just go with that. The daughter is Sarah Montanac. And at this point, we don't know the son's name, uh, the one who escaped the day that they were killed. Though some of you probably know where they're going with that at this point. Um, so like I said, uh, they get separated. Ben gets attacked by the wife. Tina is trying to find an exit. Uh, every exit that they, like the entrance that they use to go into the house is now blocked by a brick wall of all things. You know, it's not like some debris fell on it from up above. Literally, you know, we're getting a lot more supernatural stuff happening. And at this point, they are both just swimming around the house trying to find an exit. All the all the windows are barred. So even if they could break the glass, they wouldn't be able to get past the bars in the window anyway. Um, but, they're, but they're not able to break the glass. Um, we get a scene with Ben using like one of his big diving knives that they have with them trying to smash the glass and it won't break no matter how hard he hits it. Um, but like I said, even if they broke the glass, they're not going anywhere anyway. So why even try? But um, after Ben is attacked by the mom, uh we go back to Tina. We see that Tina is now kind of being chased by the old man. And what, like I said, once again, we're seeing, you know, the old couple kind of walking on the surface of the house while Tina and Ben are swimming. And Tina, unfortunately, is not able to find an exit. She's not able to find a way out of the house, but she does end up getting reunited with Ben one more time. 
But at this point, Ben is no longer Ben. He's still talking with his own voice, but he's being really cryptic and saying, uh, Tina, no, we're not going to escape. We belong here. You know, this is where we now belong. I assume that maybe Ben was, you know, being either controlled or possessed by the mom, because after that, we don't see the mom right away until Ben is snapped out of his trance. Um, he gets he snaps out of it after Tina stabs him in the shoulder with her knife, her diving knife. So um, and then as soon as Ben is kind of snaps out of it, one, then the couple reappears and then the daughter also appears. So now, you know, we've got three antagonists chasing our two divers throughout the house. Um, but like I said, uh, Ben. Uh, oh, right. Ben was possessed. He's no longer possessed now, but he still ends up. Uh, unfortunately, Ben ends up getting taken. And this is one of my favorite shots in the movie, actually, is that Ben ends up getting taken by the by the mom, uh, you know, by the, 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 the mother of the couple, uh, Madame Montenegro. And basically dragged down uh, to the bottom of the house. And this, I like this shot because we kind of see Ben's lights start to flicker and then fade as he goes deeper into the house. Uh, I guess kind of signifying that that's his life force going away. That, you know, once the lights are out, the lights are out. Ben is gone. And at this point, we don't see Ben anymore. And Tina is finally able to find a gate. Uh, that leads outside that is open. It's unlocked and she's able to pull it open. She starts swimming to the surface, but at this point her oxygen is completely depleted. There's no oxygen in her tank. So of course the smart thing to do is to drop the tank just to get rid of all that unnecessary weight so that you could swim up to the surface as fast as you can. And remember earlier when we said that Tina lied to Ben about being able to hold her breath for three minutes, Tina literally dies with maybe five meters left to go up to the surface. She could literally see the sun shining through the surface of the water, but uh, she doesn't quite make it. And unfortunately, Tina dies and sinks right back down into the lake. If Tina actually could have held her breath the, the three minutes that she claimed she could, she would have survived this film and probably would have been the first survivor of the Montanac family. Uh, because after our credits, uh, I mentioned that we do get another end credit scene. And what is our end credit scene? Once again, we see Pierre taking another pair of divers to the secret location mm -hmm. in the lake. Yes, folks, Pierre was the son, uh, the, the Montanac son that survived the attack. So now he is basically, I, I guess, feeding his family victims I guess somehow he knows that his family is still alive down there, still up to their, you know, uh, satanic uh, routines. And he is basically feeding them uh, these divers that go down, though. I would have loved to have seen what would happen if Tina actually did survive, because like I said, she would have been the first survivor of this family. But she could only hold her breath a minute and a half. If she could have even held it for two minutes, she would have survived. I mean, literally, I'm not kidding, folks. Yeah. 10 to 15 feet from the surface. And she dies. And as she dies and the oxygen escapes her body, we see her sink back into the darkness. And that is the Deep House 2021. Yeah, exactly. Into her new home. Yeah, yeah I, I was... I, <laughs> I was thinking that too. As like, it looks like she's gonna. I was like, oh, she was right there. Like even, 
even if you're starting to drown, I would think you would like still try to struggle your way through, up to the surface if you're right there. That's yeah. got to suck. You start to see the light and the water is getting brighter and you're like, oh, not quite. Yeah. She even, I mean, when she was, once she started seeing the sun through the surface, she actually even takes off her mat. Like she already dropped her tanks, obviously. Then she takes off the big mask because they're not using the small face masks. They're using like the big, you know, the one that encompasses your entire head so that they can communicate with each other, you know, over audio, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so yeah, like literally, you know, 10, 15 feet away from the surface, she takes the mask off to just try to get up there as quick as she can. And nope literally feet away from the surface and yeah she passes away so i can see how that ending might be a little frustrating for people um that's not the part of the ending that really bothers me as far as what happens to ben and tina that's expected you know i totally expected them to not survive this whole thing what was underwhelming to me was the fact that they just kind of leave the family somewhat ambiguous like we know like i said we know what they did in life but we don't get an exact explanation. Obviously, we can all assume Satanism. It was the mm -hmm. Satan stuff, which is fine. Some, uh, something Satan or a cult, yeah. Exactly, yeah. But, uh, you know, a quick throwaway line in there, you know, maybe from Pierre or something, you know, would have satisfied my curiosity more than anything. But w what's underwhelming about the ending to me is just the fact that um, only the mom of the family of three zombies, spirits, whatever you want to call them, um, on, only the mom actually gets to kill anybody, actually gets to take anybody. And all she does is drag him down, you know? So the, the movie's not very violent. Uh, it's not gory. It's not blood. In, in fact, I don't think the only blood in the entire movie is when uh, Tina cuts her leg on one of the hooks, holding down the couple in the cellar. That's literally all the blood in the movie. So not a whole lot happening there, but we do get a pretty cool flashback scene when, when we get, the explanation of what the family did in life. We actually do get a couple of cool surgery scenes where we see them kind of torturing these kids and literally cutting open their abdomen and peeling back these thick bits of flesh and everything else. It still could have been gorier, but with Universal's name on it, obviously we're not going to expect, you know, the inside or frontiers or anything like that uh, level of violence. So, or martyrs or anything. So, but you know, even though the ending is a little you know, maybe underwhelming, if not just slightly disappointing. Overall, I still, I love this film. I, I just really, really enjoyed my journey with it. I enjoyed every minute of it leading up to that ending. And even with the ending being a little underwhelming, I'm still mildly okay with it because it does leave it open for more chapters. You know, I don't, I'm not sure if that's something that they were striving for, leaving the ending a little ambiguous so that they could potentially do sequels. But um, it's a little too ambiguous for me. I'm, obviously the two people that were following throughout the entirety of the film both die. So we get a somewhat of a conclusion of their story, but with movies like this, where the antagonists, you know, don't get punished or sent to hell or whatever, it, it it makes the entire movie feel like a, a chapter of a bigger story. Like it seems like there's a bigger story to tell here, but this was just Tina and Ben's story, you know? And once Tina and Ben are gone, that's the end of our story. So that's the end of our movie, which, you know, it's a, it's a little it's, unfortunate, but it's, it's, it's underwater house LLC. 
<laughs> so oh, God. we'll get uh, two more. <laughs> oh, hey, if I, I'm not going to say no to any sequels. I don't know that I necessarily need to see anything because they would definitely have to ramp up to do a sequel. So we'd have to get more action, maybe get more deeper into the story of the family from both during when they were alive and then post death as well. Blah, blah, blah. Maybe a little bit more about Pierre now that we know who Pierre is, because um, obviously you don't know who he is when you first meet him, though. In horror movies, I'm always skeptical of the guide. The guide is almost never trustworthy to me. I mean, when we watched M. Night Shyamalan's old earlier in the year, did anybody even for a second <laughs> think that the guide wasn't a scumbag? <laughs> I mean, no. no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, especially especially when he like doesn't even walk him all the way down to the beach. It's like, hmm, something's fishy. Yeah. Exactly. So, but I mean, for whatever it's worth, you know, um, like I said, it's a short film. It's a quick watch. Um, it still feels slow at times, but again, if you're fans of uh, you know slow burn stuff like I am, uh, it, the movie should still work for you. Uh, we all three of us have already said great tension, tone, beautiful set design, like the under uh, the underwater house looks great. Um, all the shots within the house look really good. Nothing is too murky where you can't see anything. Um, in fact, during the finale, the lights in the house actually come on. Like it's like the power magically comes on and all the house lights come on. And, you know, we get to see a little brighter view of the house, if not only for like a minute, for like the final minute of the movie. But still, it's a little something. It was kind of cool to see all the lights underwater come on. I mean, there's no way that house is getting power still. It would be almost an impossibility. But there it is. The lights all came on. So a cool little set piece there. But. Overall, this was a this is a solid little movie. You know, it's a it's a little movie that could. Uh, I enjoyed the hell out of it. I will definitely return to it. It gets a high recommendation from me, with the caveat that the that the ending might leave you a little disappointed. But otherwise, the journey is great. I had a I had a really good time with this one. Yeah, same here. Um, I, I really can't add much difference to that. What do you got, Mike? Uh, for the most part, I agree with everything you say. It's, I don't think it's one of those movies where I don't think anything particularly about it is spectacular, but everything comes together pretty nice and it's still a fun time. And it's another kind of, you know, sub 90 minute movie. You're kind of in and out of there pretty quick. Once it gets going, it's nonstop. And, uh, I think it delivers what you would want from, a movie yeah. about an underwater haunted house. <laughs> exactly. Yep. <laughs> okay. Well, that's oh, that was... our, our thoughts on the deep house. So let's that was quick uh, and find out. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, so let's figure out where we uh, can be heard and what's new. So Venom, I'll kick it to you first. All right. On the main show, No More Room in Hell, we have a new episode coming out. Um, Mike, correct me, is episode 36, is it? Of No More Room in Hell? No, it's actually 40. 40? Oh, we hit the big four. <laughs> nice. Hi, I'm yep. way behind. Um, so, yeah, on episode 40, we looked at Derek's picks. And as it is November, which is Italian Horror Month, of course, we kept with the theme. We looked at two maybe underseen uh, Italian horror films. We looked at Graveyard Disturbance from 1987 by director Lombardo, uh, Lombardo Bava. 
and then 1989's House of Clocks by uh, Lucio Fulci, uh, a, a Fulci movie that I've only seen once before this episode and always had a really, really good time with it. And let's see if this watch changed my mind. So, yeah, once the episode is available, I don't think it's currently available, but it should be within a day or two of hearing this episode. Um, so check that out. Uh, let's see. Creature Comforts. I am still editing episode three, but it will be available. I, I will make it available by Thanksgiving weekend. So I'll finish up. I don't have any major plans for Thanksgiving. For those who don't know, my family's all back east and my wife works in a hospital. So she works holidays for the most part. So, yeah, Mr. Venom is going to be chilling by himself on Thanksgiving. But that's good because it gives me time to finish it and ed editing the show and doing other stuff that needs to be done. So. Hopefully, you know, within a couple of days of hearing this, also, you'll be able to check out Creature Comforts Episode 3, where we looked at 1954's Them. Let's see on, uh, and I don't really think I have a whole lot of other full shows. In the Mic of Madness hasn't done anything since the 1981 episode that is currently available. Check that out if you haven't seen it yet, um, or listened to it yet, excuse me. Uh, let's see. It's not horror. Okay. Our latest episode is still 1981's Dragon Slayer. Um, we're only working on like a three week schedule on that show. So we only get together every three weeks, uh, because of, you know, um, responsibilities that some of the podcasters have. I mean, we actually have an educator on that show and she's still in the process of getting her masters. So, you know, uh, every three weeks is about the best we can do for it's not horror. Okay. If you are a fan of commentaries, check out that show, like I said, and then as far as guest spots go, um, I once again made another appearance on Bo Ransdell's The Dark Parade. This time around, we talked about what is my absolute favorite vampire movie of all time. And that is, of course, uh, Tomas Alfredson's Let the Right One In out of Sweden. Um, yeah, I know it's an unusual vampire movie to call my absolute favorite, but I will die on that hill. I absolutely adore that film. There's not a wasted frame of video in that movie. I just it, it is amazing. So uh, check out that episode. Uh, I'm not sure if it's been released yet, but if it's not, I would imagine it'll be out just after Thanksgiving. So look out for that. And then the other guest spot I did was on Bite Size Cinema with R.J. McCready. And with that one, we looked at 1988's Child's Play. Um, this is the first time I get to uh, review Child's Play. So that was a lot of fun. Um, uh, you know, we we Definitely. Anybody who's heard RJ's show knows that it's a fun, quick listen. Obviously, it's called Bite Size Cinema. So, I mean, the shows only go about 30 to 60 minutes at the absolute longest. So a uh, quick, fun episode on Child's Play. So if you're a fan, by all means, check out Bite Size Cinema featuring yours truly. And I think that's all I got, Mike. All right, Don, what do you got? Um, other than uh, Creature Comforts, uh, the only thing uh, Venom mentioned is that Underwater Kaiju was finally released. Um, yeah, uh, it's finally available on uh, Legion Podcasts or the Kill the Cast feed, we, which the uh, latest episode we looked at Gamera versus Barugon and another Ultraman episode. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, all I got for now. Cool. So I only really have what Venom already mentioned that I'm a part of. I got some stuff in the works coming, but uh, nothing I really need to 
mention at this time because there'll be nowhere to listen or find it <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, Venom. Venom did my work for me on that one. I always uh, do. <laughs> as far as fresh cuts goes, pretty much set in stone our next episode since it is a theatrical release. Yeah, we're going back to the theater for Resident Evil. I think it's Welcome to Raccoon City, right? Yep. Uh, yep, and that one releases this week uh, because... You know, Venom already mentioned Thanksgiving's not a huge affair for him, but even with it, you know, it's not a holiday that should affect our next episode. Yeah. It's this Thursday, so we record after that anyway. So, yeah, it shouldn't affect anything. Yeah, in fact, if I don't find something to do, I'll just go see a movie on Thanksgiving. Oh, give me some, uh, theater should be nice and empty. <laughs> yeah, there's a chance because this year, I. I think the past handful of years we've cooked, but this year we just ordered something and we're going to my parents' house. So I might actually have a block of time during like the earlier, assuming the theater's open like early on Thanksgiving, I might be able to fit in a screening that day. Definitely. Yeah. If anything, yeah. I think the theaters might close early, but they'll probably still open regular time. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then after that, uh, we'll probably go to Black Friday since it's now. Oh, it'll be widely available by that time. So, yep. Yep. All right. Well, with that said, I think we're going to get out of here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We should be back normal time next week for a new episode of Fresh Cuts. So, until then, take care and let's say bye to the listeners. Jaws ruined my ocean swimming experience, and the deep house has ruined my lake swimming experience. So, needless to say, I'll never swim again. Have a great night, folks. <laughs> Later. Peace. <laughs>